I'm Kristen Elizabeth, and welcome to the Evolving Mama podcast. This show holds space for you as we begin to uncover who we really are on our path to awakening. We are here to guide you back into your power and to discover your purpose in this lifetime. You will be inspired to reconnect to your higher self and tap into mind, body, and soul to find clarity, confidence, and joy. Join me and inspiring guests as we share evolution through career, motherhood, spirituality, manifestation, and co-creating the life of our dreams. My intention is that these expansive conversations act as a mirror where you begin to see a reflection of who you are and who you want to become. Now, together, we expand. Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome to episode eight of the Evolving Mama podcast. I am so excited to share this episode with you today. I came across human design back in 2020 and really became very interested One, because I'm always interested in tools that can help me understand myself better or help me live in alignment or affirm the way that I feel or the way that I move through life. And so in 2020, I came across Alexandra Cole, who is a human design coach And I loved following her Instagram and really enjoyed the way that she shared the information and it really resonated with me. So today we're going to hear from Alexandra. She is a former corporate consultant turned human design coach. And after a decade of helping Fortune 500 companies identify and articulate their own why, she pivoted to help individuals, families, and couples do the same. So she uses human design as a tool to help her clients pursue their purpose with more clarity and confidence. And she's really passionate about translating actionable insights from her clients' human design charts into strategies for optimizing their relationships, well-being, careers, finances, and family life. This really can help with so much. And she has a really unique story. She was born in London, raised in Amsterdam, And she talks a little bit about her origin story today. She was then educated in the U.S. at Princeton University and now lives in Santa Barbara, California with her husband and two-year-old son. And becoming a mother inspired her to create Thriving by Design, which is a collection of tools, cheat sheets, and online courses designed to give parents insight into their child's unique sensitivities, preferences, and gifts, as well as tactical tips for how to support them. So I actually, in 2022, purchased reports for my girls. It's her raised by design reports. And so I know their human design. And not only that, it is multiple pages of exactly how to support my daughters uniquely in the way that they are designed. So I'm really excited to bring you Alexandra today. You're going to get to know about human design at a very high level. She'll dive into the energy types and it can be pretty interesting if you're not familiar with human design to try to maybe listen to what she's saying and see where you might feel alignment and then go ahead and pull your chart to see if it matches what you were thinking um, that your energy type might be. So she'll talk about the human design chart. She'll talk about it high level. We'll go into a place of um, 
you know, kind of exploring some other areas of the chart, but I really encourage you to smart start super small. Um, you know, there is so much information and so many components of the chart, uh, similar to astrology where, you know, you can get really deep with it. So figure out some ways that you can begin small, take that. And honestly, you could use resources on her website, but even if you begin by just going to her Instagram and reading some of the content that she has there, you'll start to learn and find out if your design resonates with you. I have a feeling that it will. So I hope you enjoy the conversation today with Alexandra. If you are enjoying the conversation or you end this today feeling expanded or excited or pull your chart, please take a screenshot, tag me at the evolving mama underscore, tag Alexandra Cole. Her Instagram is Alexandra F. Cole. And make sure to tag us and we'd love to share your feedback, and share your expansion story from listening to today's episode. To pull your chart, simply go to the show notes. I have linked everything there. You will find links to two different paths to go ahead and pull your own human design chart, along with links to Spend some time with Alexandra uh, on her website and her Thriving by Design website if you are a parent. So go there and begin your journey. As always, if this podcast is helping you in some way, helping you expand, please share it with somebody who you think could hear that message or would benefit from that or you who you think would enjoy it. And Leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. Your support means the world. And until next time, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Alexandra. Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Awesome. Me too. And I do want to say, you know, time is really our most precious resource. And obviously being a mom, we know that firsthand. So again, just so much gratitude for you spending this time with us today when you could be doing so many things. So we really appreciate that. Oh, no other way I'd rather spend my time, honestly, than talking about human design, especially to fellow parents and women who I feel like can benefit so much from this tool. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we probably have a wide range of people listening who have no idea what human design is versus maybe having a little bit of an inkling um, into that. But before we kind of dive in there, I just wanted to give a little bit of background. So you are a human design coach, um, formerly from you know the corporate world. Um, and I wanted to talk about a little bit how I found you because I think this is really the process for a lot of people in discovering new tools and and ways of thinking and how to expand themselves. So I follow Holly from Wealthy Belly, really from her inception. Um, so I think back in 2020, I want to say she shared uh, having kind of a reading with you. So we're going back a few years. Um, and I was just so intrigued. Um, and also I found out later that you're a 5-1 generator. I'm a 5-1 generator. I'm like, oh, there's something about the energy that I love. Um, but I think in 2022, I'm not sure if that's when you launched the Raised by Design piece yep, that sounds right. for children. So I jumped on that so quickly. Um, I have two daughters. And after having my second daughter, I realized the polarity of their personalities. And when I found out you had a resource or tool that was going to help me support them, um, knowing that I might need to do things a little bit differently for them, I really um, jumped on that right away. So worth every penny. Um, So thank you for that. You're welcome. And honestly, the fact that you as a parent are open to kind of tailoring your parenting style to the individual child is so, so important. Um, but I think it's it's really challenging when you don't have a roadmap or a manual as to, you know, what these children need. And that's that's really what Raised by Design was was meant to be. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. Um, so thank you. And 
Also, part of the intention of this podcast is really to help women, you know, expand what they think is possible for them. Um, you know, and and once they hear something that resonates, whether big or small, they take a little bit of inspired action. And a lot of times we do that through expanders, right? And so certainly in many ways, you're an expander for me. Um, but in order to show people what is possible, they have to create some belief. So before we really dive into human design, I'd love to start a little bit with your origin story just to get to know you. So if you could tell us just briefly a little bit about your early life experience um, and kind of how that shaped who you are today and how you see the world. Ooh, I will try to keep that as brief <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Um, but I was actually born in the UK. I was the oldest of three. And when I was about six, we moved from the UK to the Netherlands. Both my parents were originally Dutch. Um, and so we ended up moving back because my dad took over the family business. And I got put in a Dutch school, even though I didn't really speak any Dutch up to that point. Um, so I think that definitely was a very formative moment, first and foremost, needing to kind of adapt and adjust and, and figure out this entire new world. Um, that was one. And then when I was about 10, my mother passed away from breast cancer, which was another major formative moment. And when I reflect on that, I think part, those core parts of personality really started to develop there where I became a very kind of half glass, half full person, right? I've always, from the moment that happened, seen it this is going to sound strange, but more as a blessing, right? I didn't, I never felt like a victim. I always kind of took it in my stride. And I think as the eldest, you also feel like you have a role to play and to, to set an example for your siblings. Um, but that also was the catalyst, I think. Um, obviously, going back to my 10-year-old self is a little difficult, but me eventually ending up in the United States because my mom had studied in Boston College. And I think in some way I wanted to honor her. So from that moment, I started to become really passionate about this idea of studying in the States, which required me to commit to all these extracurricular activities that none of my friends were doing. And it required me to do the SATs, which obviously anyone in a Dutch type of school environment was not doing. Um, and I'm very grateful for that because part of what we'll talk about when we get to human design is the amount of pressure to conform that we feel at every age, but I think especially as kids, that's like very strong from the age of seven onwards. And this little spark that was lit in me to do something different and carve my own path, um, I think prevented me from falling into that conformist type of experience or nature. It also, you know, forced me to leave my family behind at 18 when I moved to the United States. Um, and I think that was also the reason why I'm incredibly independent as a person. I, I still live very far away from the rest of my family who I'm very close to and miss dearly. Um, but I, I don't need that proximity in order to feel the connectedness necessarily. Um, and then the other thing I'll say, which was interesting is as a young child, I was a huge performer. I'm a Leo. And I was the ultimate Leo. I always wanted to be in the spotlight. I was always on a stage, always singing, doing something. And around when I moved to the United States, I noticed this shift from kind of trusting my emotions and my gut and living that like big personality that I'd always been free to be. I got into this new environment where I felt um, like I needed to live in a more mind-based way. So I, I went to an Ivy League school and so felt immediately all this pressure to pursue a more corporate career. Um, and I kind of let go of all the acting, performing and went like full throttle into, I, I ended up in kind of strategic work. Um, and it took a few years for me to find my way back to feeling connected to that gut and the emotions. And that's ultimately what led me to leave corporate America. But I think this, the, what I'm trying to show in this story is just this kind of ebb and flow where I felt um, more true to my authentic self and then kind of gave into the pressure and then came back to that. Um, but yeah, I think those were some of the most relevant experiences maybe that shaped me into to who I am today.
Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, it's interesting because, um, my husband actually lost his mother at 10 years old to breast cancer and he is the oldest child. Um, but I feel like he took a different path in terms of, you know, not looking at it as a blessing and it letting be the catalyst for everything. It, it had a different, um, I think impact, but that is, that is definitely a very pivotal, um, thing to experience in your life. So thank you for sharing that. You mentioned, you know, about this, uh, felt this need you felt to conform, right. And this, you know, going to an Ivy league school and what are you going to do? Um, we'll get into human design absolutely next, but I'm just really curious, um, you know, how did you make that pivot from corporate America into human design and was motherhood a catalyst for that at all? So this was, I kind of need to fast, like go all the way back. So I was, imagine I started my career at whatever, 21, 22, living in New York city, working in management consulting, a very big prestigious firm. Um, And I kind of just put my head down, did the work in my mind. The whole path was already laid out for me. I do that for three years then I go to business school. Then after business school, maybe I'd go work at a big fortune 500. I kind of like, it was the yellow brick road. And all I had to do was kind of follow the science. Then a really close friend of mine from college invited me to breakfast one morning and started talking to me about this idea that she had to start a consulting firm that worked with these large corporate brands, but helped them understand this next generation of consumers that were, you know, a lot more purpose-driven and purpose-minded, were were more mission-oriented, and also just had an entirely new way of communicating and operating. Like it was this whole new world and a lot of these old stodgy companies didn't understand it. And something just I in within me reacted to that so strongly. And now knowing my human design, that was my what we call your authority or your inner compass, like really responding to what she was telling me. And I had never felt so alive is probably the best word I can can think of. And so I just trusted that. And I started to meet with her. I told her I would help her. And I started to meet with her before work, after work. And it was a slow process because I'm someone that needs a lot of time to wrap my head around things. I'm not a spontaneous decision maker. So what it looked like for a while was that I was, you know, in my, my quote unquote day job, I would be like in a partner meeting, just sitting there taking notes as an analyst. And then as soon as the meeting was done, I'd like put on my flat shoes and sprint across New York city to go to like a pitch that she was doing with some company. And I did this for quite a while until I realized that, that I could no longer do that. And it was just, it was starting to affect both of those worlds. Um, and, but by that point I was so invested that the move felt effortless. Whereas initially it felt a lot more scary by that, by the time I actually made the transition, I didn't think twice about it. And so I dove headfirst into this company with my friend and we started it. It's still operating today. Um, and that move is the thing that really also in, sparked in me, this desire to help people really articulate or identify, articulate and pursue the, their purpose, really the thing that that gives them that same feeling that I had in that moment. And so I actually ended up writing a book about the whole process of almost figuring out a formula for purpose. I know that sounds um, a little bit wonky, but at the time, I think that's what I felt was missing. I was looking at all my peers and they were clearly unhappy, but they didn't know how to make that leap. And so I wanted to give them a tool to make that leap. So I wrote a book called The Purpose Playbook that came out. And around that same time is where I discovered human design, which to me was like the aha that brought together all my kind of woo-woo spiritual interests and this really practical side that I have and a desire to kind of create a very formulaic kind of step-by-step approach to living your life in a more aligned way. And from that moment, kind of, I started building my, my human design side hustle, which, which grew into actually an entire company in and of itself, but it, it was very organic. I didn't intend to, to make this, you know, what I do. 
Um, but it, it definitely, that catalyst of leaving corporate America to do my own thing and the feeling that that gave me of freedom and joy, I wanted to share that with as many people as possible. And human design is now the primary tool with which I do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that story. That's so incredible. And I think what's interesting is like you inherently were following your design and that path, right. Of like juggling both and like dipping your toes and getting comfortable. And as you took that inspired action, cause you just felt so called, you created this belief, right. That you were going to be able to do whatever's next. And I think you have to assume that the universe or, or whatever knew you would end up in human design and that being part of your purpose and what you brought to the world. Um, but you would have had to go through that to actually get there. Right. So I think so often we're, we're wondering like, what's the end thing, but we just have to take these next steps because there's honestly no way we can predict what that end thing is. And this isn't even your end thing, but it's just a huge pivotal thing that you landed in and landed on. So that's beautiful. Well, yeah. let's dig. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, what I was going to say, actually, what's fascinating in human design is that there are some people who are more in charge of their life path in terms of what's next and in control, even of just taking that next step, because I completely agree with you, we shouldn't get caught up on step number 50. But there's also people who, who aren't designed to actually have control over their life path. Instead, their life path is shaped by the people that, that they surround themselves by and the environment that they're in. So for some people, I say, forget about a five-year plan, forget about trying to figure out exactly what that next step is, and instead really focus on surrounding yourself by people who make you feel really good, who are doing exciting things that you're curious about, because that's actually the best way for you to get to whatever is next, rather than trying to kind of force it. Yeah. Okay. Let's, we've got to dig in then. It's time to get um, into the human design world. So if you want to just start, what is it rooted in? Like, where does all of this data or information come from to actually populate your chart? Okay. So it really is a bit of a combination between the spiritual and science, right? So the system itself is fairly new and I call it a system. It was channeled by a man in Ibiza in the late 1970s, early 1980s. And it brings together multiple ancient and modern systems, modalities, some of which will sound very familiar to your audience, the chakra system, the Chinese I Ching, which is one of the most ancient books of wisdom, um, the Kabbalah, right? The Kabbal Kabbalistic tree of life, and then astrology. And similar to astrology, really what your human design chart, which is what you'll look up if you kind of Google it, your human design chart is based on where all the planets were, that exact moment in time of birth, and the energetics of that specific place where you took your first breath. Because you almost want to imagine it's like you were imprinted with the energy of that moment. And so that is what gives you this very specific set of gifts and energetic pathways and ways of expressing yourself and really what your human design design chart shows you is the way your energy is designed to move and express itself in the most authentic, right? The most natural, but also the most effective way because when you are using your energy appropriately when you're kind of moving in alignment with that chart um there's this quality of ease and effortlessness like when I was describing this just knowing that this was like I was meant to do this thing with my friend and it it I didn't even need to overthink it because it felt so right and when you are truly living in alignment with your chart and and tuned into that that is what most of life is going to feel like. It doesn't mean you never encounter any challenges, but it means that even those challenges, you're approaching them from a place as this is, this is meant for me and I can handle this. Wow. I love that. It's, I mean, I think so many people, there's a bit of an awakening going on today, it feels like, and everyone is so curious, well, what's my purpose? They're digging for more, but I think, knowing that it can look so different for everybody, what their life should look like, how they should get there. Um, so I really look forward to digging into deeper parts of the chart and how 
you know, people can really discover like to be authentic, how to be authentic to themselves um, and not try to fit, you know, a, a round peg in a, a square um, space, so to speak. But I know that there are energy types and that's kind of the the peak of the iceberg to say, right? So let's start high level, just very brief. Like what are those energy types? And then we'll dig a little bit deeper into the chart. Yes, absolutely. And what I'll say too, just following up on the purpose piece is the the amazing, the thing that I love about human design is that the idea is that when you are using your energy in the right way. So when you are making decisions in the way that is correct for you, communicating in the way that is correct for you, connecting in the way that is most natural, authentic, and correct for you, you inevitably end up living out your purpose. So it's not like you have to actually go out and do something or find your purpose. It's already there. And it's just trusting and getting so attuned to like that inner operating system that it's almost like your purpose finds you in a way. Mm-hmm. So I I love that that way of thinking about it here too. Mm-hmm. So yes, when you go to any website and I can we can maybe provide a few in the show notes. Um and you type in your birth details. So you need your birth time, date and place. Out will pop this very complicated looking chart and usually there'll be a section that says chart properties and it will have a number of different like words that you'll see. And at the very top, it'll say type. And this is really the, like you said, the tip of the iceberg. It's, I kind of think of it as the outer layer of the onion where there's so many deeper layers and nuances to get into. But the first one you have to unpack is the energy type. There's five different energy types. And each of these types essentially is an operating system that describes how to invest your energy in order to get the greatest return on that investment. So it doesn't really speak to your personality yet, or even like your specific gifts. It's really just purely energetically, how do you operate and function? And each of the five types is slightly different. So starting with the generator, which you and I are, because Mm -hmm. generators make up about 30, 35% of the population. So we are one of the largest cohorts. And generators are really here to respond to life based on what is most exciting to them and what brings them the most joy and aliveness. So for a generator, you want to think of life as this buffet, right? And your only job is to start to pay attention to which items on that buffet you feel this inner, like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited to taste this or try this. Like it's really, truly that excitement. And that response for us generators lives in our gut. We're very gut driven humans. Okay. And that gut, I like to say the gut really speaks this language of excitement. The thing that makes generators so special is that we have our gut essentially acts as this motor. We have this constant purring motor that is naturally and automatically charging overnight. So we basically wake up with this full tank. We burn through our energy throughout the day and then we go to sleep and we wake up with another full tank of energy. And we take that for granted, but there are other types that I'll discuss discuss that don't have that natural automatically recharging motor. And so they can wake up exhausted sometimes and they'll have days or weeks where they don't feel energized. Whereas a generator is really designed to be able to apply themselves to things in a very sustainable way. And that's why oftentimes we are, we act like the motors of societies. We are the doers. The challenge is that In this ideal world, a generator is only supposed to be doing or committing energy to things that excite you and light you up. But guess what? From a very young age, oftentimes people put pressure on generators to do stuff for them because they see like, oh my gosh, when I give Kristen a task, it gets done. So great. I'm just going to keep piling stuff onto Kristen's plate. And when you do the things, you get praised for that. And so a lot of generators end up associating their self-worth and how valuable they are to others with how much they are doing and how productive they are, right? And there's this identity crisis where 
you see something that's exciting to you and you want to say yes, but then you're like, oh, but if I do this other thing that this other person wants me to do, I'll get the praise and I'll feel more valuable. And so I'm going to do that. And so we, we kind of become martyrs. And so the thing for a generator to do first and foremost is to really evaluate how much of my time and energy am I spending on things that are meh exciting or not at all exciting to me. And how can I minimize that time that is spent there and then start to fill my plate, my proverbial plate at that buffet with only the things that excite me, because that is what is going to allow you to get to that full potential charge of your battery of your motor. That's where you're going to be most magnetic and alive and valuable to everyone else. Um, but those boundaries are really hard to set. That's, that's the challenge for a generator. Um, and for generators, the last thing is that the sign that you are not doing this, that you are spending too much time and committing too much energy to things that don't light you up is frustration. And it's traditional frustration, but it can also feel like stuckness, like the stagnant, like nothing's moving, nothing's going anywhere. When you feel that, whether it's in a relationship, in a career, in life in general, it's time to reevaluate how you are applying yourself. So that's the generator. And you kind of want to copy paste most of that for the second type, which is the manifesting generator. And this type makes up another 30 to 35%. So you can see how that group together is 70% of the population. And manifesting generators, which is a bit of a hybrid type between the generator and a manifester, which is the third type I'll get to next. Manifesting generators are also gut driven. They're also supposed to follow what excites them, right? The slight difference is that manifesting generators move even faster. So they're they're like four steps ahead of everyone else all the time. They make connections really quickly. They're incredibly creative. And they're really here to show us that life is not meant to be linear. So they zigzag a lot. If they were to truly trust and follow that gut, it would lead them to very, very different places. And a lot of the times manifesting generators, if they're living their true design in the moment, might be like, this doesn't make any, I feel like I'm all over the place, right? I, I'm drawn to so many different things. Like, how can I possibly, you know, trust this? Because the world tells you to pick a lane, right? Go deep, be loyal to jobs. When a manifesting generator is really here to be more of a honeybee where they, they kind of float from flower to flower, they job hop because they learn so much from each job and then they bring it on to the next um, and so if you're a manifesting generator and you're incredibly multi-passionate, but you feel like pressure to pick a lane, don't, right? Your magic is, is being multi-passionate and trusting that gut. And as long as you're doing that, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. So that's the manifesting generator. Now we get to manifestors, third type. Manifestors make up about 9% of the population. And unlike generators and manifesting generators who have more of a consistent, like I said, output of energy, we're more moderate. Manifestors have these huge bursts and these valleys, right? So manifestors are really here to be the trailblazers, the initiators, the creators of movements. They are here to do big things. And they're really here to follow what we call their urges, which are these sudden out of nowhere, I have to do this right now, right? It's it's literally, and it's not a response to anything. It's literally just something that drops in and is like, I need to fly to India tonight, or like, I need to start this company. And it will just drop in. And it's essential that a manifester pursue that. And they have, they get this huge energetic, like creative burst when they have those urges but it's not sustainable. They don't have the ability to sustain it and to kind of keep executing like a generator and a manifesting generator have. So what happens is after they've like pushed the boulder to the top of the hill or halfway up, let's say, they crash and they'll like come down hard and won't even be able to get out of bed. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you'll you'll feel those ups and downs a lot more strongly as a manifester. And it's so important to honor those lows just as much as you honor the highs. But again, we live in a society that has a nine to five workday, five days a week. 
but a manifester and some of the other types might benefit much more from having a two week work day, right? Or working from like nine to 12 and doing a ton in that time and then resting. So for manifestors too, what is the challenge there is that because you are meant to do big, bold things and really be this trailblazer, pioneer, change maker, you're not supposed to pay too much attention to other people and what they think and whether they agree, right? A manifestor is really here to chart their own path. However, the what we talked about with the generator and manifesting generator, like being learning to associate their self-worth with how much they're doing, what happens with a manifestor often as a child is they are very independent and they have very kind of big personalities and they naturally will bump up and rub up. They, they like kind of trigger people just by being who they are. And a lot of parents try to protect their child by trying to make them small, keep them small. Like, don't, don't say that. Don't do that. Right. Like you can't just go out and do that. You can't go out and say that. And so, and again, these are loving, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this because these parents are trying to protect or prepare their child for the real world, quote unquote, but they get stifled. And so these manifestors grow up as these people pleasers. That's like the vice of a manifestor is being an, an, a people pleaser when they're actually supposed to be so empowered that they don't give a damn about other people and whether or not they agree. Um, and for manifestors, the strategy, so for, for a manifestor is really to inform as you go. So to be a really good communicator, because you move so quickly when you get an urge, you're like off and running, you can alleviate some of the tension or some of the triggers that you will in that process naturally kind of, um, create for your environment by communicating and you're not asking for permission. You're just letting them know, Hey, I'm flying to India tonight. They're like, wait, what, what do you mean? You're flying to India tonight. Yep. I'm going to, I'm going right. And you confidently move forward, but you inform them. So it's not like they call you the next day and they're like, where are you? And you're like, oh, I'm in India. And then they get annoyed and frustrated. Right. So being overly communicative is key. Um, but, but what manifestors are really living for is freedom. They, need to be free. Being micromanaged as a manifester, worst thing possible for them. Um, so that's the manifester. Fourth type, projectors. So projectors make up about 20% of the population. And projectors are really our guides. They're our visionaries. They are here to be the ultimate optimizers. So projectors don't really have their own internal source of energy. They're very dependent on environment for that. And so they naturally have this ebb and flow of energy and it's a, it's smaller than the manifestor. So if the manifestors, you imagine like big peaks and valleys, this is more like a gentle wave, right? But because of that, because they don't have their own internal energy source, it's really important for projectors to be mindful of what they are spending that limited time and energy on. And so the strategy for a projector is to wait for the invitation because projectors, like I said, they are the, they see things so much more clearly than everyone else. They're the, the advisors, right? They can immediately see, oh, this is how to fix this situation. They always see what's wrong, what's missing. That's what their minds gravitate towards. And they are brilliant, right? They're really innovative too, in the way that they work. However, it's important for them to wait to be invited in to solve those problems so that they can be sure that the person on the other end or the project is actually going to do something with their brilliant observation, insight, or advice. Because there is nothing more frustrating to a projector than telling someone exactly how to fix their problem and then nothing happening, right? And so you wanna wait for the invitation. You wanna wait until that person is actually ready for what you have to say so that there's this tangible result and outcome on the other end. And for projectors, that the feeling of being valued and appreciated is so important. And their vice is what we call bitterness. So when, when a projector doesn't feel valued or when they feel like their advice is not, being received or nothing's being done with it, they get bitter, they get a little resentful, right? And 
if you don't wait for those invitations and you just go around solving every problem you see, because again, projectors see the solution very quickly and very clearly. So if they ended up doing that, they would burn out so quickly because they don't have that sustained source of energy. And so for projectors also, it's really important to build in the rest almost on a daily basis. And projectors rest best when they are alone because again, they, they pick up on other people's energy really, really acutely. And so they need to be alone in order to fully reset and recharge. So that's a really important thing to kind of build in. And because they're so efficient too, like the ideal workday for a projector is four hours. That's it. Because they can get more done in those four hours than most of us can get done in a full eight hour day. Um, but again, we live in a world that has certain norms around work and the way that we operate. Um, and so for a lot of projectors, if you are working in a corporate space and you're working a nine to five and you're feeling completely tapped out and exhausted, it's just because you're pushing yourself beyond that energetic limit and you're not resting enough. And the quality of your output is truly dependent on the quality of your rest. So that's the projector. Final type, and I'll keep this brief because the final type reflectors are only 1% of the population. One to two. They're very rare and they're very special because project or reflectors are like the truth tellers of society. So where I said projectors were sensitive to other people's energy in their environment, reflectors are the product of their environment and the people they surround themselves by. They become their environment. So reflectors are the most dynamic because they are just, they and they can change the most from moment to moment, literally. Like if they're around their family, they're one version of themselves, right? And then they go out and do some grocery shopping and just the interaction with the store clerk and the people in the store will affect them and change how they show up. And they feel everything so deeply. They feel every emotion, every anxiety, every pressure, right, is felt by a reflector. And their gift and their role really, like I said, is to be this truth teller. And the only way they can do that is if they stay as present as possible. For every moment, they just show up. And they let go of this trying to label or, or identify themselves as, as one particular way, because they truly are constantly evolving, and they can't be put in a box. Um, but really the magic for a reflector happens when you can be present for every moment. And then you experience this kind of surprise and delight in life, right? So you're not trying to predict where you're going or put yourself in a box or compare yourself to anyone else because you, you can't do that. And like, you're only going to be able to be that incredibly wise truth teller that like cuts right to the heart of it or sees beyond all the BS when you are truly present for that moment. Okay. I'm going to pause. That was a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, that's amazing. I have to imagine everyone listening is starting to probably try to predict or identify which energy type they are, which is really fun to kind of hear that, see what you align with, and then actually go and pull your chart. Certainly when you were saying things about the generator, and I love the way that you describe everything and the analogies that you use and the way you really bring it to life to really understand what that means. Um, but I love the buffet analogy. I was also thinking like of me in the morning as a, as a generator, like leaping out of bed because I'm like so full of energy. It's crazy. And then by the end of the day, I'm like, can you put the kids to bed? Cause I'm so tired, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, and it also makes me think like in working with some clients, right? Like a generator. Wow. You could have some serious codependency issues, right? So really figuring out what's the shadow side of some of that. Um, and in fact, one of my first clients, um, she was a reflector. And so it was really cool because it's part of my survey because I want to know and dig into that mm. a little bit. Um, so that was a pretty cool experience to to work with somebody pretty early on who who was in that position. Um, so thank you. I, that was that was so helpful, and I'd really love to dig deeper. You know, we talk about 
Human design is a tool to help you really navigate your life, right? Make decisions, whether it's related to career or relationships or in motherhood or whatever that is, finding purpose or that purpose just kind of presenting itself to you. Um, So I'd love to dig deeper. I know I shared obviously my details with you so that we could have an example. Um, But maybe if there's anything that stands out to you, happy to dig into that. I know, you know, maybe authority or incarnation cross could have some pretty interesting pieces to look at when we're thinking about purpose. Um, But if there's anything you want to chime in with, that would be awesome to hear. Yeah, of course. So yes, when you pull your chart, right, like I said, you'll see type at the very top. And then a few rows down, well, then you'll see something that says strategy, which is associated with each type. And I kind of touched on them just now. That is really important to learn to operate like according to your strategy, right? But the next most important thing is the authority, like you mentioned. And there are six different types of authorities that you might have. Um, I won't spend too much time on these, but just to kind of cover them, this authority is essentially like your internal compass. It is your primary decision-making vehicle. If nothing else, this is the thing to turn to when you need to make a decision in life. And what is very interesting is that only 2% of people have what we call mental authority. So our, and even they aren't fully supposed to make decisions with their mind, but they are at least using their mind and observation to kind of evaluate and make decisions. But 98% of people are all supposed to be making decisions from the body, which is fascinating because I think we spend so much time up in our heads, like trying to justify or validate feelings that we feel inside in our bodies. And then we don't trust them because we feel like we need to have proof and, and, and validate that with some type of mental argument. But the authorities are, you can have emotional authority, which I have, um, which means you are an emotional decision maker and you're designed to make decisions based on your feelings, your emotions, your moods. And the key with emotional decision making is time because emotions are like a wave and they kind of come rolling in and then there's this big crescendo moment at the top where you're feeling all the feelings and then the wave crashes and you find yourself kind of bobbing at the surface. Most of us make the decisions or react when we're in that like crescendo moment and we're feeling it. Really what we're supposed to do is wait for the wave to crash because that is where we have true clarity. And so a lot of the times I've learned, like when I feel triggered and I feel this big emotion, I actually remove myself from the situation. I go on a walk, I take time alone and I wait for myself to settle. And usually after it settles, I'll have so much more clarity. I'll still make the decision based on how I feel, but it'll be different and it won't be as charged as it was at the top of the wave. So that's the emotional decision maker. Then there's the sacral decision maker, which you are. So that's that gut. The sacral center is the gut that we were talking about. So for you, it's all about responding with excitement and and just noticing what what do I feel excited about? What lights me up? Literally, what do I physically feel attracted or drawn to? And for sacral decision makers, oftentimes it helps to have tangible options because it's hard to make a decision out of like all potential universe of, of, of options, right? If I asked you, what do you want to eat for dinner tonight? You'd probably look at me like, I don't know, let me do some research, right? As a five one. But if I told you, or if I asked you, hey, do you wanna have sushi tonight or a hamburger? Your gut would probably immediately have a response, a greater response to one of them. So if you're a sacral decision maker, play around with giving yourself an A, a B and a C option because it'll make it easier for you to tell like, oh, what am I more excited about? Then you get splenic decision makers. So splenic decision makers are intuitive decision makers and it is more immediate. It's that like that inner knowing and you still, it doesn't need to make sense, right? Cause it's just that like, I need to go here. I need to meet this person. I need to know this person, right? It's like, it doesn't make any sense but you just have this inner conviction and knowing and that's what a splenic decision maker is. So really learning to trust your intuition and trust it 
the first time. Cause what happens is as soon as you've gotten that ping of like, I need to know this person, your mind will start to play games with you and say, do you really though? Oh, it looks like they're talking to someone else. So probably just come back later and you need to trust it immediately. Cause it only speaks to you once and then it's gone. Then we get ego authority. So ego authority, this is really what we call also the heart authority. So these are people for whom it is essential that your heart is in it and really living through that. Like, what does my heart feel invested in, but also what do I want? Right. Cause the ego in human design, it is people who have this, they're designed to be a little bit more quote unquote selfish in a good way. Like doing the things that you want and are best for you and serve you is ultimately for an ego authority. What's going to serve everyone else around you. So really allowing yourself to, to tune into that a little bit more, like what is best for me in this moment is often what's going to serve everyone else too. Then we get self-projected authority, which are people who really benefit from having a sounding board. They almost need to get their thoughts out of their head and into the world, whether it's by speaking to a person, a wall, a voice note, or journaling for it to kind of let, for the decision to be made and to land. If you just like sit by yourself and are in your head and like trying to figure it out, you never will. So, you know, these are the people that if you go to a coffee shop, you're looking at the menu and you're talking out loud, you're like, oh, well, I had the latte yesterday and like, I've been wanting to try the matcha, but like, I don't know, right? Like th those are self-projected people. They just need to kind of hear themselves talk sometimes. They're not necessarily looking for a response from anyone. It's just how they process information and make decisions. Then we get to the last one, which is mental authority. So mental authority people, like I said, have very busy and, and powerful minds. And they have this incredible ability to analyze, observe, interpret, and they're constantly like looking at the world in a very mental way. That being said, they can oftentimes when it comes to decisions, just spend forever turning these things over in their mind and mental decision makers need a lot of time to make decisions because they're going to want to play out every possible option, right? They're going to like think it through. But at the end of the day, the key for them to land on a decision is actually letting go of the mind and just being in their body, grounding somehow, right? Like whether it's a body scan or meditation or breath work, the answer will ultimately land, but you need to give it time because you need to cycle through all those potential options and thoughts and observations before you get there. But don't put pressure or force it to happen right now, right? You're not really in charge of when the answer is going to land. It will, I promise. But enjoy that process of just your like mental playground and being up there and then trust that the answer will land when it's ready to. Wow. Yeah. I think, well, one, I, I need to pull my husband's chart because I'm wondering if he's part of the 2% um, for authority, but this is, it sounds like, and I think you mentioned this, this is a really good place to start once you get beyond energy type. I think there's so, you know, many questions in the conversations I'm having, which is all around finding clarity. And I think that the truth probably is, is that everyone could probably identify with one of those authorities. They just maybe have not trusted it in the past. Right. And so maybe knowing that can kind of validate, like you can trust your natural design and the way you're meant to be and operate. So I love that. Um, so authority would be a good place to start. What about the incarnation cross? What, tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. So the incarnation cross, so just kind of taking a step back, if you look at your chart, so to understand this, I kind of need to explain more of the dynamics of the chart. So when you pull your chart, you will see this diagram of a human body and then you'll see these nine different shapes that look like triangles or squares. And all of those shapes will be connected by a bunch of lines. And then there's these numbers on the outside of each shape. Okay. So the shapes themselves are what we call energy centers. And each center maps to a chakra and governs a particular part of the human 
body psyche experience. So there is a center for emotions and that center is my authority, right? There's the sacral center, the gut, which is your authority. So there's all these, these nine centers and the numbers on the outside of each center are what we call gates. And each of those gates represent gifts or filters through which a person might experience the energy in that center. So all the numbers on the outside of the emotional center are potential ways I might experience emotions or a person might. What you're looking for initially in your chart is what is colored, which we call definition. So what is shaded in a darker tone? Which numbers and which shapes are colored? Because that color is your energetic blueprint. Those are the fixed parts of you that, like we said at the beginning, are like turned on by where the planets were. So this is the most consistent and authentic version of you. These are the gifts. The numbers that are colored are the gifts that you authentically and consistently have access to, right? And the centers, this is the energy that is consistently yours. So it's almost like this is where you're led from within. Whereas everything that is white in your chart is where instead of being guided from within, you're actually shaped by that outside world constantly, right? You're more sensitive to the people around you, the places you're in. So reflectors have their entire chart white, not one of their centers is colored. And that is what makes them so hyper, highly sensitive to environment. So the incarnation cross are the four gates, the four numbers in your chart, the four gifts that are most representative of your purpose. These really these are, are turned on actually by where the sun and the earth were the moment you were born. And so you know how they say in astrology, like your sun sign is 70% of your per personality. So in human design, where the sun was, right, and the earth, like they impact 70% of your purpose. So the these four gates are really significant for that reason. But like I said, the idea with the incarnation cross is that when you're using your design, when you're, for you, for example, when you are just trusting your gut, following your gut, living by your values, right? And like leaning into all of these magical gifts that you have, you will naturally start to live out your purpose. And for you, your incarnation cross is the cross of demand, they all have weird names. So if you look it up and it doesn't make any sense, don't worry about it. But the cross of demands, for example, is about identifying the things that are limiting joy and solving and fixing them. So it's like your gifts are associated with being really good at like what's the root problem here or and how can we solve for it to create more aliveness and joy and right. So I think even if you, and you can bring this to everything that you do, right? So the way that you parent might be very much like figuring out what's wrong with your child, right? And then solving for that so that they can be more alive. Whereas that might be very different from the way I parent or someone else parents. And your podcast is about helping people solve for some of the problems and things that might be limiting their joy, right? So you can see how this purpose is, is very broad. It can apply to anything, um, but that's the, the significance of the incarnation cross. Wow. That was so spot on. And I have to say, you know, my knowledge of human design is very high level. So I'm, I was trying to get a little bit deeper and, and dig a little bit deeper there. And that just like resonated so much with me. It's incredible. I feel like I just got, I got chills. That's absolutely the way I operate. Um, in life, in what I do with clients, in what I do at my corporate job um, with my children. So that is, it's so validating and so cool and obviously just creates so much trust and belief in human design. Um, we're kind of, we're getting close uh, to the end here. I know um, your time is precious, but I wanted to touch a little bit on, you know, for the, for the moms who are raising children and really want to be consciously aware of how they're raising them and how they're, you know, supporting them. You know, I have the raised by design reports for my girls. So I have uh, a three, six generator and a five, one projector, which is really exciting. Um, but you know, you mentioned this in the beginning. It's like we have a society with your story where you feel like you just have to take the next step in the, the yellow brick road is right in front of you and just take the next step that's meant to be. Like, 
I want to get into the raised by design a little bit too with this question, but how, if people started leaning into this and learning and becoming consciously aware, like what is the impact this could make on society or children, or it just seems like such a, a beautiful evolution of humanity to, to go down this path. Yeah. Well, and when you get into kind of bigger picture human design theory, you know, it, the universe is constantly moving through some of these different gates too, right? So, I mean, again, I don't want to get too deep, but for example, those projectors, those guides, they didn't come to be until the like 17th, 18th century. Um, and that was for a reason because we weren't ready for them yet. Right. Initially we had way more manifestors because they were really here to create and trailblaze and establish, you know, cultures and communities. And then we didn't need them as much anymore. So now we have a lower percentage of manifestors. So the idea is really that ultimately when everyone truly lives their design, the, the world, right. And is a perfect puzzle, right? Everyone has their little unique puzzle piece that fits perfectly together. But unfortunately, we live in a world where we have replicas of certain puzzle pieces because people are trying to operate in a way that they think they should in order to fit in, but isn't truly who they are. Um, and the founder of human design actually always said human design is for the kids. It's for the children. Because if we as parents can from the very beginning honor who these little people are and how unique they are and how distinct they are from one another and from you too as the parent and let them lead and tell us what they need, right? We're going to raise a, a generation of people who are their, their perfect puzzle piece, right? And who are going to be so much happier and move through life with so much more ease, right? Ultimately, um, than maybe what we did or our parents did. And so for me, I, I created Raised by Design, which for everyone is, it's like a 10 page report summary of your child's chart, but written in a very digestible way. So you don't need any background in human design in order to actually understand it. Um, but I made it because I had my son and I started, I really saw it as an experiment. I used his chart to kind of inform, honestly, everything that we were doing with him from the way that he ate to his sleeping patterns, to his learning like uh, behaviors. And it was so valuable because it gave me so much more confidence and peace of mind, understanding him, even if he wasn't verbal yet, understanding that he needed a lot of variety, understanding that he would have trouble focusing on one thing at a time because his brain is always distracted by anything and everything that's going on in his periphery. Like he's more peripheral, whereas I have a brain that's more focused. And so if I tried to teach him things in the way that I best learn, it, it's not going to work. Right. And so instead of getting exasperated by him not responding to these like ways of working with him. I felt so confident in just letting him learn in a very different way and not stressing out. For example, with him too, he has very irregular eating habits. Like he doesn't, I eat three meals a day, three big meals a day. He will sometimes skip two meals. Then he'll have like a little snack. Sometimes he'll have all three. Right. And it's very irregular. And if you follow all the parenting books, like, that means you're being a very bad parent and it's a disaster and your child is going to fail because they're not getting enough nutrients. But having this human design to tell me, no, it's okay. This is exactly how he's supposed to function and just let him tell you when he's hungry and then he'll eat and he'll be okay. So I wanted to share that with as many parents as possible, as you can imagine. And that's what sparked Raised by Design. And my hope is truly that if the more parents have this and the more we can create that safe space for children to just be who they truly are so that they don't have to go through that whole deconditioning process later on in life. Um, I think, and I hope the world will just become a better and more rich and diverse place to be. Oh my gosh. That was so beautiful. So beautiful. And 
I will say as somebody who has the raised by design reports, they are so easy to read and not even read, just like you basically tell me what to do, right? Um, so it's so helpful. That's I feel like that's such a beautiful way to end Alexandra, but I do want to make sure that everybody knows how to connect with you. I know you're on Instagram and you share so many free resources. And honestly, you guide us through how you're operating in your life and motherhood using design. So tell us how people can connect with you and how they could maybe schedule some time with you one-on-one. Yes. Thank you. Um, my website, alexandracole.com. Um, you can find more information about human design there, a bunch of resources and also book one-on-one sessions. I apologize if you end up having to book really far in advance right now. Um, but then my Instagram at Alexandra F Cole is a place where I'm very active. I love responding to DMs. So if you have questions after listening to this, please do not hesitate to reach out. And all my posts are really focused on breaking down the information and translating it to be, again, super digestible. And then finally, for parents, I created a website with my husband actually called thrivingbydesign.com. And it is specifically focused on tools and resources to actually help apply human design as a parent, both for yourself and with your kids. So you'll find cheat sheets for the different types, energy type, how to parent according to that. You'll find the raised by design report there. I just launched a well by design report for parents as individuals to like how to optimize your health according to your design. Um, And I also have a nourish by design course, which is how to feed your child according to their design. So there's a lot there to explore as well. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. This has been a beautiful conversation, but also so expanding. And of course, that's why we're here, right? What can we learn from people who are here to bring something into our life that helps us expand and hopefully elevate human consciousness at the end of the day, create a better world. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.